Welcome to the Speakernomics Podcast, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, Robert Kennedy III, RK3. That's me. Speakernomics is the show where we flow and go and help you to know how to grow a thriving speaking business. Why? So you can change the world, of course. Now join me for that journey, will you? What are we talking about today? We're getting to the heart of the matter. All too often as speakers, we struggle with crafting messages that hit the heart. We go round and round the merry-go-round and create content that may be usable, but maybe it isn't memorable. So how do you do this? How do you craft a message that will still grip the heart even when you are no longer in the room? Ooh, let's dig in. Let's do well. Hi-ho, the Mario. Our guest today is Dell, Dr. Del Atoro McNeil. What's up, champion? How you doing? What's going on, Robert? Man, it's honored to be here with you, my friend. I'm excited about this journey, brother. Listen, I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited that you're here. Now, I know that you've got a lot of speaker tricks up your sleeve, but what is the supremely savvy soundbite that you have for us today? Stop speaking and start serving. I think, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in the speaking space is that we feel like we have to morph into someone different when we get on stage. And so a lot of that causes angst, nervousness, all kinds of stuff. And it kind of takes us out of our flow. Mm -hmm. For me, what's allowed me to be so impactful for the last two decades has been the fact that when I get on stage, I don't speak. I serve humanity. And when I believe that when we get on stage and serve people versus getting on stage and performing, what comes from the heart reaches the heart. And so I think the more we serve and the less we speak, the more we transform. I love it. I love it. Sweet. So before we do the deal with Dr. Delatoro McNeil, let's hop over to the Speakernomics voice mailbox. Let's do it. This week's voicemails are in response to Kelly Swanson's question. How do you make your buyers or your audience care about what you care about? How do I make my audiences care about what I care about? I give them the experience. When they understand and they feel in their mind, in their heart, in their bodies, and they create an awareness and a mindfulness about my topic of cross-cultural competence and working better together, they get on the passion wagon with me. This is how I make my audiences care about what I care about through my energy, as well as my words, and my heart, as well as my mind. Harriet Russell, cross-cultural strategist, proud member of NSA. Hi, this is Ross Fishman from Fishman Marketing. Uh, I typically present to lawyers where I need them to totally unlearn what they've long known um, to flip their thinking 180 degrees. And they're a smart and very skeptical audience. Uh, the only way that I found to do that is by educating them to see it a different way to provide new information to them that they've never seen before or considered so they can form a new opinion based on new evidence. This way, I'm not telling them that they're wrong or bruising their egos. I'm teaching them something that they find interesting. Uh, they like to learn, so as long as it moves fast, they enjoy it. And I found that strong visuals really help because they can see it. They don't have to do the math in their heads. Uh, I can control what they see and when they see it, and I personally really like to juxtapose two different approaches, sort of like it's an eye chart, like which do you prefer, A or B, A or B. And when I get them to firmly commit to version B, then I help them see that they're currently using version A. And at that point, I've got them. Uh, they're going to do it my way. 
Uh, if you want to contact me, I'm at 847-921-7677 or Ross at FishmanMarketing.com. Thanks. The first rule of influence is to understand your buyer or your audience and what they care about. And it helps if you really care about them. And I think most of us members of NSA really do care that we drive outcomes for our audiences. I will oftentimes do a stakeholder interview or three to understand what motivates an audience member, where their pain points are. Lately, I've been doing more surveys of membership, uh, especially with if it's a defined group or a sample survey, if it's a larger association, to really focus on the key words they use to talk about what they need and where they're facing hurdles and where they'd like to succeed. By stitching their own words into my presentation, I'm more able to connect with them quickly and to demonstrate a real link between what I'm hoping they get from the presentation and what they've already told me they need. Oh, yeah. I love those responses. Let's keep them coming. You all do me a big old favor. Will you share your thoughts? As soon as you hear the question at the end of today's show, I want you to head on over to speakernomics.com forward slash voicemail. That's speakernomics.com forward slash voicemail. Answer the question and we'll get it on an upcoming show. And maybe you're not in the mood to answer a question. Maybe you just want to talk to Robert or Dr. Dell. Hey, listen, that's fine to head on over to speakernomics.com forward slash voicemail. All right, let's get into it. Our guest today, Dr. Delatoro McNeil, is a motivational speaker. He's a peak performance expert, Wall Street Journal bestselling author, author of the book, Shift into a Higher Gear. And guess what? He is now celebrating this year, full-time, 20 years in the speaking business. Let's talk about it. Dr. Dell, how does it feel to be full-time for the last 20 years. Man, you're only like 32, so you've been speaking to you since you were like 12, I think. Craziness, <laughs> right? It's craziness, bro. It's, it's, I'm 45 at the time of this broadcast, yeah. and so to think that I went full-time as a speaker at 25 is just mind-numbing to yeah. me, but it's true. Wow. I mean, my, 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 my journey, Robert, happened so early, man. The, the matriculation happened so fast for me because, you know, just a quick story for those people who don't know. I went to Florida State, got my bachelor's and master's degrees in five years with a 4.0 and no debt. Came out of Florida State with a, a master's degree in curriculum design and instructional systems with an emphasis in human performance enhancement mm -hmm. uh, for Florida State. And so I went right into... Um, working for Anderson Consulting, which at that time was one of the top five global consulting firms. So I, I thought I was going to have a 10, 15 year career at Anderson and then slowly transition into the speaking thing. But I got laid off my first year being at Anderson and I went from my great corporate salary to nothing in a day because they laid off everybody in the training and development department. And so I was gone relatively quickly. I was like, what the heck am I going to do? I got a master's degree. I, I did everything they told me to do. Go to school, get a great job, you know, get get your advanced degrees. You can write your own ticket. And I did all that and still got laid off. So, so, it, was, so, so it was massive shell shock for me, bro. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? And, you know, Les Brown was in my life at that time. Dr. Willie Jolly was in my life at that time. And Dr. Willie Jolly had hair back then. He had <laughs> afro. <laughs> That's how long ago that is, man. And he has been oh my, my Kevin Roberts, man. He has been my trailblazer, my mentor, my advocate, my coach, my father figure in this industry. I love him dearly. I talk about him in every speech. 
And he encouraged me to join NSA. Yeah. And so I joined NSA and I got involved in Toastmasters. I'm 21 and a half, right? And I worked at the University of South Florida for two years, Robert, teaching instructional design, curriculum design to faculty and staff. And, uh, and I also taught public speaking. Yeah. And so I'm like a year and a half out of college and I'm teaching at the university level, teaching public speaking and presentation skills. And so two years of doing that. And then I started speaking at colleges and universities on nights, weekends and lunch breaks. Mm -hmm. And then I went full time as a speaker in 2000, 2003, brother. At the end of 2003, I went full time. So I want to dig into some of that story just a little bit. I know we got some stuff to cover here on the episode, but I want (laughs) to dig further back because you just mentioned that you had this job. And you were intending to work for 10 to 15 years and then get into speaking. So my question is, you had aspirations of being a speaker even before that? What was the genesis of that? How did you know that you wanted to get into speaking in the first place? See, Robert, you're about to make me touch on something that I get so much. People get so liberated by what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. So I grew up I grew up in the church. So I grew up. Christian. Um, I embrace metaphysics and all kinds of additional spiritual modalities now in addition to Christianity, but I grew up in a very traditional Christian household and I was always drawn to preachers and pastors and but I never felt the call of God to pastor a church, right. but I was drawn to their oratory. So I was like, okay. And my mom was a Sunday school teacher and an English teacher. So if you were going to be Olivia's kid, you had to be able to talk. So from the time I was in the third, fourth and fifth grade, I got the longest parts in the Easter play and the Christmas play. I had to play Jesus, Moses, Abraham. So my mom raised me in a household where articulation, diction, enunciation, pronunciation mattered. Right. And so that was my upbringing. Right. So if you're articulate, and you are drawn to people who are articulate, but you grow up in church and you don't feel like you're supposed to be the pastor, Right? then what other track do you have? I knew I wasn't supposed to lead a church necessarily, but I was like, okay, what do I do with this gift? Right. So when I was in high school, I started learning about things like Toastmasters. And when I got to college, my first mentor in college got me involved in Toastmasters at the collegiate level. And I started serving him. His name was Dr. Lee Jones. He had a bachelor's, two masters and a PhD. Mm-hmm. He was the associate dean of academic affairs and instruction at the College of Education. And I just sat under him for five years while I was at Florida State. And I did everything he taught me to do. And he was an itinerant speaker as well. And he spoke on a lot of black studies issues and things of that nature. But I just sat under him. So you're right. I came out of college knowing that speaking was what I wanted to do, but I didn't see many examples of people who had started to do it so young. So I was like, okay, the models that I've seen are you have a full career in something else, and then you slowly transition into speaking, right? Because that career gives you the background necessary to be able to go speak to corporations and conventions and all that stuff. And so I didn't have that runway. You know, that's why I love one of my dear friends. Her name is Vernice Armour. She is America's number one first African-American female combat pilot, helicopter combat pilot. And she says, in life, sometimes you don't get a long runway. Right. In life, you don't sometimes get to be the plane. Sometimes you got to be the helicopter. Right. And the helicopter takes off from where it is and adjusts in the sky. Wow. And that's what I had to do. I got chill bumps, brother. I had to adjust in the sky. So I didn't get the long career in corporate America runway. I had to take off with the gift that God gave me and perfected in the air. So I took a spiritual gifts inventory. This is a true story, Robert. I'm at my church, I'm at post-college, I'm in between, it's right after the layoff, and I took a spiritual gifts inventory. And the spiritual gifts inventory told me that my two greatest skills were exhortation mm-hmm. and administration and leadership. Three, sorry. Exhortation, administration, and leadership. And I'm like, hmm, 
And so I went to my pastor at the time. I said, my young adult pastor, I said, what is this exhortation thing? That's, and so he said, that means that you have a spiritual gift to inspire. Right. You have a spiritual gift to uplift people. And I was like, wow. And so I, I had always been told you had a great personality, whatever, but it hit me different, Robert. I got chill bumps when I realized that it was a spiritual gift. It was something that was just innately given to me. Yeah. And so I was like, man, okay, wow. So of course I'd already been studying Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and all these great people. I was like, man, I can make a living being positive wow. and helping people and supporting people. And, and this is a true story, bro. And that's what it's, it's, all this is going to come around full circle. So Willie Jolly says, Hey bro, I know you, I know you're wanting to do the speaking thing. You're doing some Toastmaster stuff. Have you ever been to the NSA convention? I'm like, no, he's like, you need to get your butt to the NSA convention. I was like, I ain't got no money to go to no NSA convention. <laughs> Robert, I went, to the, I went to my first NSA convention in Orlando. I was not registered. I had no money to attend. So all I did was get dressed up in a suit and I walked the lobby. Right. I didn't go into any paid sessions. I just walked the lobby. And it's funny, right? Because fast forward 20 years, right? <laughs> I'm about to be one of the main platform keynote speakers at Influence yeah. this year for our 50th year anniversary. I've been a member of NSA 17 years. I was one of the youngest CSPs, certified speaking professionals of NSA. I earned my CSP at the age of 33. Mm-hmm. And so I've had my CSP now for 12 years, right? And I've actually mentored, professionally mentored seven CSPs and one member of the Million Dollar Speakers Group yeah. um, has gone through my mentoring and training. And so it's it's been an amazing journey, bro. I mean, it, it really, really has. So yeah. I say that to say that for anybody who's listening who thinks that you don't have all the qualifications, for anybody who's listening who feels like you don't feel like you have the perfect pedigree, you don't have enough certifications, you don't have enough a big enough social media following or a big enough email database, right? I, I went through all of that. And even some of you all who might feel like, okay, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I don't have this or that or the other. I didn't have all that either. Right. But 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 I started with what I did have. Yeah. And I got great mentors and I followed what they told me to do. And it, and it, and it was a game changer for me, Robert. It really and truly was. Yeah. So you just mentioned that you are main stage at Influence this year and you have a talk that is coming up. I want to dig into some of that a little bit. You and I spoke earlier about what the core of that talk is going to be. And some of that comes from your background in instructional design. And that's something that we share in common. I have a master's as well from University of Maryland in instructional technology and curriculum design. And you and I shared that and we were like geeking out over that a little bit. So so as you think about um, speaking, as you think about delivering content yeah. to people, in the intro of the show, I said that a lot of times we present content that may be valuable, but it's not memorable, mm. right? So when you think about crafting a speech and you think about your instructional design background, what are your thoughts yeah, bro. as you begin to structure something? How do you reach the heart of your audience? What are some of the stepping stones that you use to build out your, your content or your talk? Hi, I'm Joseph with Leadership Books. If you are planning on attending Influence 2023 in Orlando this year, I would like to invite you to our official pre-conference author summit hosted on site Friday, July 14th. If you are an aspiring or existing author that would like to take your platform to the next level, this is a must attend event. You will walk away fully equipped to sell more books and gain more clients. Be sure to get your tickets today at GetPublishedSummit.com. 
Did you know that speakers who can deliver their message and get laughs just get more referrals and bookings? I'm Mac Dryden, and I've written material for Bill Maher and The Tonight Show and many others where my job was to get laughs for other people, and I guarantee I can do it for you. I've been making people laugh since a passenger side airbag was your brother-in-law. Go to MacDryden.com, that's Mac with a K, click on Writing and see how I can make your speech a lot funnier, and you don't pay a dime until you're thrilled. What are your thoughts as you begin to structure something? How do you reach the heart of your audience? What are some of the stepping stones that you use to build out your, your content or your talk? So, Robert, that's a phenomenal question, man. You and I, man, bro, we could talk all day about this stuff because here's, here's the truth. Most speakers speak for reaction versus retention. Mm, okay. Say it again. Most speakers speak for reaction versus retention. And what I mean by that is most of us were trained to speak for the, the applause, the aha, mm-hmm. the, the ooh, the ah, the standing ovation, you know, all that jazz, right? And I think all that stuff is great, but reaction is very temporary. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, from a business perspective, I want my audience to clap with their wallet. Let's just be real. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other method yeah. on a different day, but I want my audience to clap with their wallet because here's the truth. Your keynote, your workshop, your training, your conference, no matter what you produce and deliver, it's not long enough to distill everything you know. And so for me, when I came into the speaking industry, Robert, coming in with an instructional design lens on the speaking industry, three points in a poem did did nothing for me. Right. Because it, it, it... the traditional way of, oh, just get up and just, just tell a story or just, you know, you know, have a great quote or just tell the starfish deal or that was a very, that was very shallow content from the way I was taught to look at content. Right. I was taught to look at the learner experience, the learner journey. How do we transfer knowledge from the person who has it to the person that needs it mm-hmm. in such a way? How do you, how do you create, how does the learning ma- environment match the performance environment so closely that everybody makes it over, right? And thinking from a learner perspective instead of, and I think a lot of us as speakers speak from what I want to say to what, and we think very us-centric. Right. What do I want to say versus what does the audience need to receive? And how do they need to receive it the best? Mm-hmm. According to adult learning theory, we learn best through experience. Right. While it's great for us to see it through our PowerPoints and it's great for us to hear it with our ears, right? At the end of the day, we have to understand that there's different learning modalities, different learning styles, and different personality styles. So you're dealing with hundreds of different ways that people process information in any one given audience. So for me, I think of how do I get the audience to own the presentation? Because as long as I say it, I own it. Mm -hmm. But if I can get my audience to say it, they own it. And the best way to get my audience to say it is to get them to not just say it with their with their mouth or just write it with their hands, but how can I give them some experience with it in a real tangible way that takes the retention of content from a mere 10 or 15% two weeks after exposure to 90% two weeks after exposure. Right. And I say this all the time. If you cannot be remembered, you cannot be rebooked. Right. Right. So that again, if you cannot be remembered, you cannot be rebooked. So we have to build presentations that are memorable for our audience. So that means giving them a full on visceral experience where it's not just visual, it's not just auditory, but it's also kinesthetic. It's in the movement, 
It's in how we use our physiology. It's how we use our body. And it's how we feel. Dr. Maya Angelou, people will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do. They will never forget the way you make them feel. And so I think if we can give our audiences a greater feeling, going back to what you said earlier, how can we come more from the heart? Because I think intellect is beautiful and it's amazing and it's important, but let's just be real. And I'm going to mention this in my keynote. Now that we've got Google Mm -hmm. and chat GPT and all these other AI tools, it's, it's the person who can give the quotes and statistics is no longer the standout. Right. In my humble opinion, now that we have access to all this stuff, Robert, it becomes the person who can reach the hearts of the people the best. In my humble opinion, Robert, all this great AI stuff does nothing but make our actual presentation skills yeah. 10 times more necessary. Yeah. Let's let's break that down just a touch further. I don't want to give away all your stuff, but I want to I want to I want to dig in just a little bit further. So you're you're creating a speech. You're creating a 10 minute program yeah, yeah. for an audience and you you sit down at your desk and you write out everything that you you write your outline and you write out what it is that you want to say. You write out your main takeaways, your main point. Now, how do you break apart those experiential moments? Yeah. Do you sit and say, yeah, yeah. OK, yep, I'm going to have them stand here. I'm going to what is it that you do right, in, right. In, in that creation process? So, so great. So let's, so let's back up. So the first thing I think okay, is, okay, whatever my topic is, what is the end goal? Mm-hmm. And I think so many times we're not thinking through what the real end goal of said talk, program, keynote, whatever it is. So what is, where do I want to get people to by the time I'm done, right? right. And let's say I want to get them to a certain place when it comes to their habits, right. their peak performance habits. But let's say I want to get them to an end goal as it relates to mindset or their end goal is some financial goal for their business. Whatever that end goal is, then I say, okay, once I know what the end goal is, now let, what, how do I need to back into that? Mm-hmm. What steps do I need to teach them to help them get that outcome? And so I might say, okay, cool. With the time I have, now this is really huge. And I think a lot of speakers go wrong with this too. So if I only have 10 minutes, my mind automatically, Robert, thinks like a filing cabinet. And what I mean by that is, what I love about a filing cabinet is that you can't open up drawer number two until you put enough stuff in drawer number one and close it back. Right. And so that's what I mean by retention. So how many drawers are we opening in these 10 minutes? Because I think of my content as drawers, filing cabinet drawers. Right. So I might only be able to open up two drawers realistically in 10 minutes. I would rather a speaker develop two points really well mm-hmm. than try to cram four points into a 10-minute talk. Right. And I think so oftentimes we think that more is better. Well, less but quality to me that is retained is better. I'd rather you have two well-developed points in 10 minutes that allowed you to make your point, give a personal story, give some examples so that everybody in the room understands where you're coming from and then gives the audience a chance to have some experience with that content. Yeah. Whether it's a discussion, whether it's a turn to your neighbor and ask them a question, whether it's a do a quick exercise that takes 30 seconds, think of a way that you can get the audience to have a personal experience with said content. And if you can get them to have a personal experience with said content, now they own it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'm big into audience response, call and response. You'll still see that happen at Influence. Mm-hmm. Because again, the more I get them to say it, just the act of them saying what I say automatically makes them own the content. One of the things that my clients adore about me is I, I ask them, I say, what's the theme of this conference? What's the theme of this annual meeting? Whatever, whatever. Yeah. And it's my goal to burn that theme into the hearts and minds and nervous system of the people that are there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it by any means. Let's go the other direction. Is it possible 
for there to be experiential overload. Absolutely. Of course. G- going to, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a speaker who says, yep, I, I listened to what Dr. Della Toro said, and I'm going to put <laughs> all of my stuff. I'm going to have them sing. I'm going to have them do cartwheels. I'm going to have them stand and wave their hands in the air like they just don't care. I'm going to have them do all these different things. What's the balance there for a speaker versus audience? I think what we, again, I think it's important that we balance content with examples, right? So let's go back to instructional design, right? Mm-hmm. Information, presentation, example, practice, feedback, right? Right. Right. You give people information, give them examples, give them a chance to practice, give them feedback on what they did. Mm-hmm. So I think if we go back to that framework and we give them, again, attention, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction, if we can and use the arts model of human motivation and really understand, even even uh, when you think about Monroe's motivated sequence, how we right. hook them in the beginning and then we produce a need and then we give the content and then we give a call to action. Yeah. No matter which one of these learning modalities you apply to a presentation, I think at the end of the day, we have to balance data and statistics with personal story, with strategies that they can apply immediately. Mm-hmm. We call them takeaways an experience that allows them to say, this is how this applies to me. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, if an audience member cannot identify how what you're talking about applies to their every single day life, their every single day business, they're like, okay, this is great, but they're checked out because you haven't proven relevance yet. So relevance says, this is how this applies to me. And I think that's where we as speakers and communicators and experts have to really do more work to really say, okay, Who's in the room? What homework do we have to do to make sure we know who's in the room and what do they need so that they win? Yeah. It's not so much what do I want to deliver, right? And I think that's where we tend to go wrong. We tend to build our talks around what we want to say versus what they need to receive. And, Robert, what modality do I need to deliver it in and deliver it in to make sure that it lands? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and so for me, that's that's the so if someone says, OK, hey, I'm just going to go and read the latest book on facilitation and, and icebreakers and then go out and just add 100 things to my talk. No, that's not the answer either, because <laughs> then, it's, then it's inauthentic. Right. right. Everything that I do from the platform is authentic to Dr. Delatoro because of how I came into the knowledge of said thing. Right. I believe in taking part of who you are and making sure that the audience goes on whatever that ride is. That's one of the things that I say. I say, listen, what do you love? If you love gardening, Mm -hmm. find a way to build gardening into your talk, your presentation, your coaching. If you love biking, find a way to build biking into your presentation. Whatever you love, whatever you have a heart for and a passion for, find a way to connect what you love and make it applicable to what nobody in the audience loves that same thing. You can still create a connection Right. That's what a metaphor is. A metaphor doesn't say that everyone has to like biking to get your point. Yeah. My book is a Wall Street shift into a higher gear. It's a Wall Street Journal USA Today bestselling book. And 90 percent of the people who buy the book are not bikers because the book is not about motorcycle riding. The book is about shift. Right. Yeah. And so I think what we have to learn how to do, Robert, is say, okay, whatever I love, whatever my passion is, what is the so what of the so what? And how can that so what apply to everybody in the room? Wow. Wow, this is so. And I think we did. Yeah, this is this is so good, man. This this feels like the first thirty minutes of a six-hour masterclass. This this is 
this is awesome. This is amazing. And I don't want you to give away everything because I want people to come to Influence in Orlando at Rosen Shingle Creek Hotel yeah. in July yeah. of 2023 so that they can hear this. Although this is in 2023, this is evergreen stuff. This is stuff that is not um, built only for this year. This is stuff, if you're listening to this yeah. content, if you're listening to this podcast episode in 2028, right. it's still going to be relevant because we'll still be human beings. Just we'll relevant. still be learners. We'll still be people who will yeah. need to access and receive and process information. So so listen, yeah. rewind this, save it. As a matter of yeah. fact, bookmark it for five years from now. How about that? <laughs> Think about it like this, Robert. Like as as kids, right? Yeah. We spend the majority of our childhood learning through emulating what we see. Right. Right? So we're modeling the first seven years of our lives. We're modeling what we see. We learn to walk from seeing those that walk. We learn to eat from seeing those that eat. So we learn best through experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we also learn best through repetition. That's right. And so they didn't teach you two plus two is four once they taught it to you 10,000 times. And one of the things I learned about learning is that learning is nothing but attaching new information to old information. So they taught you two plus two was four. Then they taught you four plus four was eight. Then they said, okay, eight times eight is 64. Mm -hmm. So they had to build you on addition and subtraction before they taught you multiplication and division, right? So learning is nothing but the process of taking new information and attaching it to old information. So in our audiences, if we're gonna be more impactful as speakers, it's important for us to be thought leaders and bring new thoughts and new ideas, right? But it's not just enough for us to bring new thoughts and ideas. We have to be masterful at attaching our new information to the old information they already know. That's right, that's right. And when we do that, now we've created a connection, right? Many people communicate, few people connect, right? So now we've created a connection and with that connection, man, I got it. I can't tell you how many audiences, how many clients say, man, I've heard some of these concepts. I've never heard it that way. I've heard some of these principles. It never hit me that way. But our whole goal is to hit our audiences in a very different place. Right. And, and you're gonna hear me say this, uh, you know, at Influence is that, in my opinion, our dollars are really in our difference. That's right. It's not in our similarity to others. It's really in how we can articulate our difference. And not just our difference in what makes us different as speakers and brands. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about our difference in perspective on a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I love what Brenda Burchard says. He says, expertise is simply your unique perspective on said topic. That's right. That's right. So what lens, what vantage point can you see sales from, customer service from, branding from, marketing from, diversity, equity, inclusion from, peak performance from, whatever your subject matter is, how, what vantage point, what unique take can you take on said thing that allows you to be able to bring a unique, fresh perspective for your audience, for your client? Wow, this is this is so good. So good. Listen, I, we're at the place in the episode. I wish we could keep going, man. But this is this is this is so fantastic. What is the question that you have for our audience? We talked earlier about a process. We talked earlier about how to think about the end game, the end goal. What is the yeah. question that you have for our audience? When was the last time you thought about the next best logical step that your audience takes after hearing your presentation? Wow. When was the last time you really gave clear thought to the CTA, the call to action that you want them to have as a direct result of your presentation? Because here's the truth. 
No matter how long the keynote is, no matter how great the training is, it's not long enough to distill everything that you know. So when you share what you know, what's next for them? And I think the more we can get clear about that end goal for the audience or for the client and then build our presentation and back into the presentation, now we can successfully get them to where they need to be during the presentation. Wow. So when was the last time you really thought about that? Excellent, excellent. Listen, we want to hear from you. We want your answers. We want your thoughts. We want your responses. Even if your response is, woo-wee, you made me think, Dr. Della Toro, send <laughs> us your thoughts and responses by going to speakernomics.com forward slash voicemail. Speakernomics.com forward slash voicemail. Oh my gosh, this has been fantastic. Where are you going? Where's your audience going? Do they know where they're going? Have you thought about how to guide them through that process or to that goal effectively? Well, this is a thinking point and it's a building point. Yeah. So if you haven't done your homework before, now's the time to think about that audience journey, that customer journey. Now's the time to do your homework. Build out that journey. Yeah. Craft an experience that is so unforgettable that your audience is willing to take action and experience transformation. Yeah. It's your time, my friend. The world needs you. Somebody's out there waiting for you to help them solve a problem. You know, the one that you solve with your message and your voice. This has been another fantastic episode of Speakernomics, the podcast where you learn more about how to speak, get paid, repeat. See you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.